What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, we will, we will rock you. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. You, you always astound me. Yeah. You take us to new depths right. of shame and misery. <laughs> yeah. There's so many songs that have rock or stone in them, and that pertains to what we are going to talk about today, but I decided to choose the most obvious one. So, obviously, we're talking about the future of stone tools. <laughs> yeah, As, uh, I think they're really going to ke- make a comeback. Yeah, Let me nice tell you, flint knives for bronze surgery. is where it's at, guys. Mm-hmm. If you're not on the bronze train, you are really missing out. It no, is actually very fashionable these days. <laughs> well, why are we going to be talking about rocks today? So, we wanted to look into a, uh, a strategy for dealing with carbon dioxide emissions. Now, as I'm sure our listeners are aware, carbon dioxide is a one of uh, several greenhouse gases, right? Mm-hmm. It's, 
It's, it's the primary one. The primary one uh, that is created by the activity of uh, that we humans tend to undertake throughout the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's been a lot of discussion about reducing carbon dioxide emissions, but not just not just that. How can we deal with the carbon dioxide emissions we are currently generating? Is there anything we could do to offset that in any way? And one of the possible ways we could do that is by mineralizing carbon dioxide. So we wanted to kind of take a look at that. What does that entail? Why is it important in the first place? And uh, what are the possibilities for the future? So first, we should kind of just cover the ground about carbon dioxide, its role as a greenhouse gas. What does that actually mean? How does that affect us? Uh, Yeah, because when we say that it's the primary greenhouse gas, uh, according to the Environmental Protection Agency, it accounts for like 80 percent. Yeah. Of the greenhouse gases in in our in or the greenhouse gas emissions in the United States, right? Yeah, it's not necessarily the most potent greenhouse gas, but it's the most important important because it's the most abundant, right? So you can look at different greenhouse gases, and you'll see that different ones may absorb. First of all, greenhouse gas it, it creates the greenhouse effect, right? Mm-hmm. This idea of retaining heat uh, close to the earth, right. uh, which is a natural part. Of what happens in our atmosphere. And if we didn't have it, we would not be doing so well, right? We need, right. We need some of that greenhouse effect in order to retain heat and make the uh, the planet habitable. And let plants do stuff, you know, things yeah. like that. Yeah. So it's not like we don't want any greenhouse gas, but when right. we have too much of it. Exactly. So since the Industrial Revolution, we have been accidentally geoengineering our planet yes. by changing the balance of uh, dispersed gases in the atmosphere, increasing the ratio of these carbon-based gases that increase the greenhouse effect, trapping more heat, warming the surface of the planet, melting ice, changing ecosystems, killing species, changing weather patterns. It, it's obvious at this point, you know, why this matters. Right. And it's definitely an industrial issue. It's 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 not happening because of the pasta we're eating um, it's 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 because of uh, like, like pre-industrial society. Of course, they weren't taking detailed molecular readings on the atmosphere at that point. No, but but, but researchers think that uh, that we've seen CO two levels increase by what forty percent? Yeah, since, since pre-industrial times. Yeah, yeah, we're talking about thirty billion tons of carbon dioxide released from human activities every year. Yeah, uh, and and there are ways of knowing what the carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere were like before industrial times. Sure. For example, you can look at ancient ice cores or sediment mm-hmm. cores. There are all kinds of ways of looking for clues about what the atmosphere was like in the past. Mm-hmm. Right. And and carbon dioxide has a cycle where it can be removed from the atmosphere. Uh, but we're seeing a real problem in that not only are we dumping more carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, we're removing a lot of the carbon dioxide sinks where – uh, we would normally see some of that CO2 get reabsorbed into the cycle where it's, mm-hmm. no, it's no longer in the atmosphere. Uh, right. When you've got a lot of trees around, they're pulling carbon dioxide out of the air and turning it into more tree. Yeah. Uh, but when you have people cutting down a whole lot of forests in order to do very important things, to be fair, uh, you, you just have less of that carbon capture going on. Right. Isn't that an amazing thing to think about? You walk through a forest and you think, where did the mass of these trees come from? Mostly it came from the air. Yeah, air and water. Yeah. And it's like huge photons. So, the, <laughs> yeah, the primary atoms that are making up the cells of these trees are carbon, and the carbon came from carbon dioxide that was in the atmosphere. Yeah. It's it's a phenomenal 
thing to think about. And beyond that, you know, there's carbon trapped in other ways too. I mean, you know, you hear about like, you know, coal, burning coal and that releases carbon dioxide. Right. Well, before that, the carbon dioxide was part of the coal. It was captured. It was, it was in a form that was not going to leak out and escape into the atmosphere on its own. Oh, so I wonder if we could do something about our problem with an excess of atmospheric carbon dioxide by just making that into more coal. Yeah, you mean like – Kind of reversing the process. Mm-hmm. Can't we get all that stuff and make some rocks? And like smoosh it together really hard. Mineralizing it essentially. Yeah. The – Basic. If you want to be technical about it, I guess mineralizing <laughs> is a better word than smooshing. Sure. The basic answer to your question is we can we can kind of do that thing. It's not so much as making coal right. as it is uh, finding a method to convert CO2 from the gas form into a mineral form. Uh, but it's actually – I hesitate to use the word easy. It's, it's simple in the fact that it does not require uh, – a huge number of steps, right? Not a lot of processing. It's simple in theory. In In practice, it's hard. Sure. Well, and and mostly just expensive to get started. Um, But we'd like to talk to you guys today specifically about this one uh, research project that's been going on in Iceland that recently published some really interesting results that they've had. And the story came in from a listener of the Now podcast by the name of Patrick Thank you, Patrick. Um, and, and yeah, yeah. So it's, a, it's about this team of Icelandic, American and French researchers who are working together in Iceland because Iceland happens to have an area with conditions that are just so extremely well suited to their work. Yeah, it turns out that this uh, it's kind of like a pilot project. And that pilot project is it's located in pretty much the perfect spot to test out this particular approach. Uh, And we'll get into more details and explain why it's so ideal. But let's talk a little bit about this team. Uh, Well, we should mention the paper itself. Yes. The name. So the paper was published in Science in uh, June of 2016. Is that right? Something around there. Summerish. But yeah, and it was called Rapid Carbon Mineralization for Permanent Disposal of Anthropogenic Carbon Dioxide Emissions. And I'm guessing that the operative word in the title there is rapid. Because as you said, we can we can turn CO2 into minerals. Mm-hmm. We have the power to do that. But I'm guessing it's not easy and it's not quick. Well, I mean, it, it happens naturally over time. Yeah. But by over time, we're talking like spans of thousands of years. Now, on a geological scale, that's nothing. Yeah, that's fine. But for we humans, that's a darn long time. Yeah. Right? We like, want things to be changed now. Yeah, yeah. It's it's tough to say, like, hey, the improvements we're going to make, we're not going to see any results from that. But people yeah. or people like things in a thousand <laughs> years will totally enjoy our efforts. The um, crab right. monsters that take over this planet will benefit greatly from our efforts. The clamp I mean, yeah. sapiens. And we, we can't even wait to, to make an entire box of macaroni and cheese. We need Easy Mac. What is the Easy Mac <laughs> yes. version of carbonization? So uh, the expert who is sort of the, the head of this, or at least the person who has often been uh, uh, associated with it, is Jörg Mater. And Mater has been seen like... Uh, his work is seen not just here uh, in this uh, particular instance, this Iceland project. There's also a project in the United States I'll talk about a little bit later that he consulted on. So he's definitely at the forefront of this this sort of research and this uh, methodology. And so his whole uh, hypothesis was that we could use a particular approach to 
speed up the natural cycle of carbon dioxide. You could make it turn into a mineral much more quickly using um, a specific methodology. Now, what he was looking at was a, a type of carbon capture and storage or carbon capture and sequestration. That's CCS. You'll mm-hmm. see that term pretty frequently. Sequestration. Isn't that such a euphemistic sounding word? Mm-hmm. It's like when you, you send somebody to prison, you're just sequestering them. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, uh, I, I it's funny because when I think of the word, the first thing that pops in my mind, even though it's not necessarily ever used in that context, is how do we deal with nuclear waste, right? The idea right. of of not just capturing it, but putting it right. away where it cannot harm people. Uh, in this case, we're talking about trying to capture carbon dioxide and locking it in a form where it's not going to leak back out into the atmosphere. That, that was a chief concern mm-hmm. in all of these different approaches that people have been trying with CCS. How can you capture carbon dioxide and convert it into a form that is uh, economically viable? In other words, it's not going to cost so much to do it that no one is ever going to put forth the money to actually uh, go forward with a project. Uh, how can it be easy and safe enough so that you don't have to worry about putting anyone in danger as a result of this? Um, and how can it be effective so that you're not just having CO2 leak right back into the atmosphere despite your efforts? Even if that's a small percentage, it's still a problem, right? If you say, well, this approach is only 60 percent effective because 40 percent of the CO2 goes back in the atmosphere, then you, you're looking at uh, not Cost a good benefit, return. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. This this benefit of. Are we actually better off using this approach than we would be if we tried something else, like just reducing carbon dioxide emissions? Uh, so the approach they used specifically in this case was dissolving carbon dioxide into water. So you get fizzy okay. water, yeah. essentially, cool. you know, mm-hmm. carbonated water, essentially, and then injecting that carbonated water into basaltic rock. Basaltic rock, you say? Yeah, basalt. Yeah, that's why basaltic a, rock. Well, here's here's the thing: basaltic rock is porous. Okay, okay. it's got so, pockets. Yeah, it's got little pockets in it. So you can inject those pockets with this uh, this carbon dioxide water solution, mm-hmm. and then you end up getting a chemical reaction. Uh, basalt also has stuff like calcium and magnesium in it, so you get this CO two solution reacting with that, and eventually that mineralizes into what is essentially limestone. And limestone's very stable. You don't have to worry about that breaking down and releasing carbon dioxide right back into the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, and it locks it away. You, you can, as soon as that mineralizes, you're good to go. The question is, how long will it take for the CO2 to actually undergo this process? Now, there have been people who, before this project was uh, uh, underway, were guessing that that would be a matter of decades, that you would be pumping water into the basalt and maybe 20 years you might see a good return, mm-hmm. like a, a, a decent percentage of that would be mineralized. But that turns out to be way too pessimistic because according to Mater and his work over in Iceland, they saw that more than 95 percent of the CO2 they had pumped into the basalt as a pilot project had mineralized in just two years. Yeah, like mm. like 95 to 98 percent, like so much of it. It is a remarkable return, something that suggests that this approach could be uh, an incredible um, option for certain situations. And we'll get into <laughs> why that's 
you know, I had to put that qualifier. Right. It's, it's, it's in. not it's not perfect, but it but it is still an exciting uh, development, especially because of the scale of it. It's not like they took like like three ounces of carbon dioxide <laughs> yeah. and tried to do something with it. And blow into a paper bag and no. then shove that down a hole. That's <laughs> a little bit more more involved. And then light the bag on fire and put it on your doorstep. And knock and... on your door and run away. Yeah. yeah. No, it wasn't, wasn't... Knock, knock. It's climate change. Oh, <laughs> uh, the classic scientific prank. Um, no, the, it was it was not that case. So I mentioned earlier that this particular project was kind of an ideal realization of this approach. And here's what I mean by that. First, uh, the project is co-located with a geothermal energy plant in Iceland that is on top of basaltic rock, right? So you've already got the stuff you need right yeah. there. Iceland is essentially made of basaltic rock. Yeah, uh, which is not the norm for most areas. And well, that's right. part of the reason why we put those qualifiers on this approach. But uh, they had uh, uh, plenty of basalt to work with. Uh, is a geothermal plant that also generates carbon dioxide. Not all geothermal plants do, but this one does. And it's at the tune of 40,000 tons of the stuff uh, every year. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, still low compared to other types of power plants. Oh, yeah, but... absolutely. Like if you're looking at a coal power plant, you're talking about 3.5 million tons of carbon dioxide per year. Uh, but, but anything that you can reduce is great. Yes. And so the important part is that they were they had a plant where they could capture the carbon dioxide emissions right from the generation. Mm-hmm. Right. So they're capturing it at the source. From the thermal plant, the thermal plant also have to go out with a net. Yeah, yeah, a, a couple of Ziploc bags and a lot of heart and moxie. <laughs> no, um, the so they they had the CO two source right there, but also because it's a geothermal plant, in order for them to access the uh, the heat that is at the heart of the production of electricity, the plant had to drill boreholes down into the basalt. Well, if you're going to inject CO2 into basalt, you need to drill boreholes down into the rock itself so you can pump the water down. So there were already boreholes. No, yeah. no need to spend money on all that drilling. Right. Yeah. It's it's like, well, this is this is perfect because we would have had to do this anyway, but they already exist. So we don't have to do it ourselves. Uh, so they had the source of the CO2. They had the basaltic rock. They had the holes they needed. All they really had to do at that point, and I... Again, when I say all they really had to do, this is still a lot of work, but it's much less than what they would have had to do if none of these other things existed. Mm-hmm. No, I think it was easy. Yeah. <laughs> they had to dissolve the CO2 into water. They I think had they're to... slackers. <laughs> you know, you know, they should really be ashamed of themselves. It's over in Iceland. <laughs> who knows what else they're doing, right? I mean, it's just a world of mystery to me. I know nothing about the place. Uh, you visited, didn't you, Joe? Yeah. What did people do besides pump CO2 into the rocks over in Iceland? Gawk at how beautiful the world is. Oh, yeah. And, and eat the best hot dogs on Earth. Wow. They have these hot dogs at every <laughs> gas station in <laughs> Iceland called Pilsur that are they're the same everywhere you go. Not exactly the same, but uh-huh. like the recipe is pretty much the same. And they're they're cheap and they're awesome. Oh, man. Well, now we know. Uh, while they're not making hot dogs and consuming them. They're apparently pumping the CO2 into the basaltic rock. Uh, Their first approach was to try and do this with about 250 tons of CO2. And that was from 2012 to 2013. In 2015, once they were able to see that this program did appear to be working, they stepped it up to 5,000 tons of carbon dioxide. So 
that's still obviously a deficit to the amount that's being generated just by this one geothermal plant. Uh, mm-hmm. They hope to hit 10,000 tons by the end of this year. Still a deficit because we're talking about 40,000 tons generated each year. But the progress is very promising. And the fact that that CO2 isn't going anywhere is a great story. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's still and again, like offsetting any of this is a win. Yes, but uh, now we get into the drawbacks. Yeah. Here's the reason why we put a lot of qualifications on this. Now, this is not to take anything away from this project. I, I love. I still say they should be ashamed. <laughs> She's uh, kidding, folks. I, I'm, I'm kidding very much. No, this is really, this is really good science. Limited by geography and, 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 and physics, but still, come on, guys. You could have stepped it up. No, no, this, <laughs> this, the the problem is that this approach, even as effective as it is, is very tricky to do in most places, right? Iceland was, again, the perfect place because you had that basaltic rock right there. Mm-hmm. The real issue is that basaltic rock is – it's plentiful. It's just not plentiful any place where there happens to be, you know, dry ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, most of it is under the seafloor. Yes. So – in order for you to access the basalt, you would have to drill down into the seafloor, which obviously creates other hurdles, other engineering challenges, and increases the cost of that solution, mm-hmm. right? Uh, f- furthermore, it requires a whole lot of water to, to carry out the process. Yeah. So for every ton of CO2, they, uh, they estimate that it takes 25 tons of water. Now, we've done other episodes about water, like uh, we did one called Water, Water Everywhere, and we did another one called The Circle of H2O, both of those published in 2013. And you will remember, if you listen to those episodes, we talked about how water is a very precious resource. Fresh right. water is a very precious resource. F- and fresh, clean water. Yeah. I mean, and the issue, of course, it's complicated, right? The water is not leaving Earth. It's sure. just not. But, it's just not necessarily in the places where people need it. Yeah. Yeah. And and that can that can become super problematic. Uh, also, the the ratio of fresh water to seawater to salt water, yeah, um, mm-hmm. is not quite what it would be nice for us. Right, to have. it's great great it's for uh, the little cool mermaid. For fish. Yeah. yeah, not so much for us necessarily. Yeah, that's that's a real issue. And 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 they and they haven't tr- tested this out with seawater. yet. Right, the, it may work with seawater, and if it does, that removes that particular problem or at least reduces it. Mm-hmm. Because another issue is that some of the places that would stand to benefit the most from this approach have the least access to fresh water or at least disposable fresh water. Uh, Also, I'm not using this 25 tons of water today. Yeah. So let's get rid of that one ton of CO2. Yeah. Uh, And and also, you know, if they if those areas aren't located near. uh, Like a like the ocean and they don't have any basaltic rock under the ground in those areas, then that that means you have to have transportation, right? You've got to transport the CO2 after you've captured it to a place where you can then dissolve it in water and pump it down into the basalt. I guess you transport it in an electric car. <laughs> oh. I mean, yeah, that's it. But that really yeah. is, that does. And, and you've got to hope the, the place that's generating the electricity is doing so in a way that isn't dumping yet more CO2 into the atmosphere. This shows how complicated this problem is, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. That this is a non-trivial problem in multiple ways, not just in the scale, uh, but also how how we can actually tackle it in a way that ultimately is helpful. Now, one thing I do want to come back on is that I don't see – maybe you could explain to me what you're thinking, but I don't see what the problem is if they can use seawater. 
Like I, I don't think there's any, really any shortage of seawater, and it's not that it wouldn't need to. Well, I don't know. if they can use seawater, that definitely reduces the problem dramatically. But for places that are far inland mm-hmm. that still have a right. lack of fresh water, that, yeah. that would still be an issue, right? So you, you think of like lots of mainland China uh-huh. or India, places that may be miles and miles away from the closest ocean. And so you or, still or, have – Or large river system, yeah. Right. You you still have some real problems there. I mean uh, – oh, and, and also you'd have to watch out with uh, – anytime that you're gathering that much water to use it in an industrial application, you have to watch out for, for where that water is coming from and how it's affecting – how its removal is affecting the environment – that you're removing it from uh, see, see above reef fish, you know, like like fish probably want some of that. I think we just have to accept that every, here and there some fish are going to get injected into the basaltic rock. Yeah. <laughs> it's really going to mess up future. Uh, uh, oh, archaeology. Archaeology yeah. where they. Yeah. they say, wow, yeah. look yeah. at look at the fish fossils here. <laughs> this is not supposed to be there. What's That's going on? Weird. It's almost like almost like it's people before. were. Fish appeared on Earth. Forcefully throwing fish into the ground. <laughs> in limestone. <laughs> limestone encrusted fish. They they ate very strangely yeah. here. Oh, man, I could go for some seafood right now. Right. Uh, so uh, one of the other things to point out is even if you were to have the ideal situation as the project in Iceland seems to be, mm-hmm. it's still pretty expensive. It's more expensive than other methods of carbon injection. Uh, Dr. Mader said that it costs about $17 per ton of carbon dioxide, whereas other methods range closer to between 5 and $10 per ton. So, uh, and that's in Iceland. Obviously, if you were to try and build a facility out, you know, offshore facility that's pushing CO2 down into the seafloor, that would probably be even more expensive per ton. You would imagine. I mean, just the the building, the infrastructure alone would be incredibly expensive. So the question then becomes, does it still make financial sense to go with this approach versus some other approach? Knowing that the problem is there either way, right? We Mm -hmm. need a solution to the problem. Just which solution makes the most sense economically? Because we can't just ignore that factor. I wish we could because that would be awesome if we didn't have to worry about how much stuff costs. Mm-hmm. Arguably, we would have a lot more solutions to some of the biggest problems we face today. But we do have to worry about that. Now, there's another pilot program. I mentioned this earlier that's going on here in the United States, and it's in Wallula, Washington, and it's along a basalt deposit on the banks of the Columbia River. So we have a similar project underway here. Um, and that that project, the cost was around $2.2 billion. At least that's what the estimated cost was when they proposed it. I have no idea how much it actually ended up costing. In fact, this particular project was a little difficult to research because it was one of those that got proposed. Mm-hmm. It was ramping up to go into full-on uh, execution. Then the the cord was plugged. They uh, plugged. The cord was pulled, unplugged. The whole thing fell Mm. apart is what I'm trying to say. But (laughs) brain no work no more. So the the project was defunded, Mm -hmm. right? It was canceled. Uh, But then initial work began uh, anyway. And a proposal was written again. And by 2013, the pilot program was actually working. Now, they, they had started this in the early 2000s. 
arguing for it, planning for it, uh, getting funding for it, and then it got canceled. But in 2013, it got started again. So we're at a point now where we should expect an update for this project. But it hasn't. But the website hasn't been updated. I couldn't tell. I went Mm. to the website and I looked for for recent news. And the most recent update I could see came from 2014. And according to what I saw, they said there was no significant carbon dioxide leakage from the injection site, which is great news. But there was nothing to say, you know, what percentage of it appears to have been mineralized since they started the project. I didn't see any information along those lines. So nothing that would uh, verify the Iceland project's results using a totally different – well, not a different approach, but a different location. Right, right. Uh, So I'm hoping – to see another update? Yeah, and you know, some, sometimes this kind of thing happens, like like as scientists are gathering the data for their research and, and pulling it all together, so sometimes you'll you'll see drop-offs and updates right before they publish something. Right. Um, and but, and it's, yeah, it's, it's also possible that it's one of those things where, you know, they have certain staff in charge of updating the website and who are, who might turn over. Maybe they are students who have graduated sure. and moved on. Mm-hmm. And it may be that they just didn't ever replace those folks to continue that part. It may be the project itself is completely on track. I just don't know about it. No one would return my phone calls. So I didn't call them. Some antisocial. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think it's interesting that this is not, you know, the Iceland project's not the only place where this yeah, is being tested. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's great. And it's, and it's so, um, Inspiring to to see this kind of thinking applied to this really massive problem. Right. Uh, and, and if it's if it's something that can be scaled up and something that can work on a more widespread basis, maybe we could see potentially a uh, leveling off of the amount of CO2 emissions that we uh, like the net gain in CO2 emissions we see over a year and possibly even a re- not just a reduction uh, from from the fact that we're, you know, using less uh, fossil fuels, but a reduction because of being able to capture and mineralize CO2. Yeah. Uh, right. And it's certainly not an excuse to, like, leave your lights on all night. And, right. You know, whatever other terrible, just, you know, sitting. Just burning coal for no reason. Yeah. Sitting in sitting in your car with the car on. Yeah. No, for it's. For seven hours. Right. Uh, I mean, you know, my car's AC works really well. And it's hot outside. Asteria is pretty nice. It is really hot outside today. I don't know if you all have been out in the middle of the day. Uh, yeah, I, I try not to be because I I walk in the morning and in the afternoon, and I don't want to go through any more of that than I already do. My yeah, totally earlier, I was standing in the sun, and the, the it was on my shirt, and my shirt felt like a hot stove top. It was just crazy. Yeah, see, now it would be nice if we could reduce some of those greenhouse gases and thus, <laughs> yeah, over you, time, reduce the amount of care. heat. <laughs> yeah, so obviously this whole idea of capturing carbon, of reducing the greenhouse gases that we're releasing into the atmosphere has wide-ranging uh, consequences. You know, the idea of, of trying to reduce the amount of climate change we expect to see over the next several years. Even even if we were to get a real good handle on this right now, we know that those changes are going to continue. It's not like there's just a, a switch that we could flip and then everything would be fine. Uh, but we do need to take some steps to to at least mitigate those effects 
and potentially decrease the amount of time that we will experience, uh, you know, non-ideal climate in lots of parts of the world. Uh, so I'm very much encouraged by this project, even though there there are these big limitations that we've pointed out. And I've always said that being an optimist, in my view, means not just hoping for the best, but also acknowledging the challenges that are in the way so that we might overcome them and not just become discouraged when we encounter them. Mm-hmm. So uh, here's hoping that this this project continues. It's able to scale up even further. Perhaps we're able to see uh, related projects in other parts of the world. And uh, it might be uh, one good strategy for dealing with carbon dioxide. I doubt it's ever going to become the only or even the primary one, but it could certainly help, right? It's not, it's definitely not hurting to capture some of that CO2 right. and mineralize it. Right. Absolutely. Uh, so this was really cool. Uh, big thanks again to Patrick who wrote into now and, and suggested this uh, topic. We don't mind appropriating it for ourselves. Because, I mean, we work on now, so <laughs> we're fine with taking that stuff. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And uh, and if you guys have not checked out the Now podcast, its official title is How Stuff Works Now, which is impossible to Google. Uh, but if you would like to tune in, head on over to now.howstuffworks.com um, or, you know, try – Try try searching for it on whatever podcast uh, thing you like. You can hear me and Jonathan and Joe sometimes talking on there and uh, about science yeah. things. Yeah, science, technology, science culture. Sometimes mm-hmm. there's some there's lots of really awesome stories that uh, that appear on now. And if you subscribe to that show, you will get to hear them. And uh, also, guys, if you have any suggestions for our show, like you got a topic you would like us to cover or you've got any questions or comments about the stuff we talk about, feel free to get in touch with us. Our email is fwthinking at howstuffworks.com or drop us a line on Twitter or Facebook. Over at Twitter, we are fwthinking. At Facebook, you can just search fwthinking in that search bar. Our profile will pop up. You can leave us a message there, and we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. 
If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe ventilation system exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe ventilation system. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today.